0: If you're with us for the first time, man, we are delighted that God has brought you. And you've caught us on the front end of a new teaching series called Ghost Stories. This is Halloween weekend. We're talking about the Spirit of God. Now, I grew up going to church. When I was a kid, 1950s, I went to Sunday school. And back then, my teacher would talk about the Holy Ghost. And that would freak me out. In fact, this is my grandson from last night. This is little David. He's a Ghostbuster. I needed him when I was six years old, but this Holy Ghost thing. But I wonder now that I'm older, where did that term Holy Ghost? Originate, where'd that come from? Well, it came from right here. This is a holy hernia inducing King James Bible. This is a reproduction of the original King James Bible printed in 1611 in the 17th century. And this is how it reads. Let me just show you a promise of Jesus about the Holy Ghost from this Bible. Ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses. Now let me give you that 17th century language, 1600s. This is the 21st century. Let me read for you. (laughs) I won't do it because I need a magnifying glass, but this is my giant print Living New Testament, here's how the same text reads in it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, now that word for power is unique. It's the Greek word dunamis. We get our word dynamite. It's an explosive power, a transforming power. It will change the landscape of your life when the Holy Spirit fills your life. You will receive dunamis power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people, about me everywhere. I read that and I want some of that power for my marriage. I want some of that power for my parenting. I want some of that power for my financial decisions, for my emotions. I want that power. I believe that power of the Holy Spirit can lift me out of the pit of depression and plant my feet on the higher ground of abundant living. So my question is, how? How do I get that power? And when does the Holy Spirit, who is that power, when does he come upon me, as Jesus said? Well, what I've read for you is chapter one in the book of Acts. In chapter two, one of the best friends of Jesus, Peter, he answers both my questions with these words. Now... In the King Jimmy, he would have said, Holy Ghost. But look what he says in the New Living Translation. Peter said, each of you must repent, turn away from your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to catch that Peter throws a a wide angle lens on his word so he can capture all three persons of God. God the Father, God, the Son, Jesus Christ, and then watch as he brings out God, the Holy Spirit. Then upon your baptism, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can be buried with Christ under the water, baptized, raised up by the power of God to do life on a whole new trajectory. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if you don't feed him, nourish him, care for him, strengthen him with God's word, he can diminish. You can be just like an atheist without the power of God within you, though you go to church, though you pray, if you don't strengthen the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. So to teach this, this is Halloween 2021. I wanna take you back to Easter 33 AD. And this Jesus story, it as well highlights the three persons of God, God the Father, Jesus God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now some of you know the Easter story. And if you don't, it's a weekend story. It starts on Friday like this, early, early Friday Friday. The face of Jesus has already been beaten beyond recognition. So swollen, so bruised, so bloody, not even his own mom would know him. His beard has already been forcibly pulled out by the roots. His back has been scourged with a vicious whip, tearing out skin, muscle, tendon, chips of bone. The the blood loss has been horrific. Horrific. He's forced to carry his own instrument of death through the narrow winding streets of Jerusalem. And by nine o'clock in the morning, nine inch nails have pinned his wrists and his ankles to the cross. And there he is left to dangle helplessly. To breathe, he must pull himself up, suck in air, for six hours, from nine in the morning to, six, to three in the afternoon for six hours, he hangs like that. At three in the afternoon, he dies. And to validate that he's fully physically dead, one of the professional executioners takes a spear and rams it up under his ribcage and into his, arm, into his heart. When the spear is pulled out, out gushes blood and water, fully physically dead. Within an hour or so, friends, remove the limp, lifeless body of Jesus from the cross. Wrap him hastily in a burial shroud and lay him in a stone-sealed tomb. All the rest of the day Friday, into the evening, all night Friday, all morning Saturday, all afternoon Saturday, all night Saturday, Jesus is a corpse. Rigor mortis has set in. Decomposition has begun. Jesus is fully physically dead until something miraculous, something unbelievable, something unprecedented occurs on Sunday in the wee hours. But before I tell you about that mind blowing miracle, I just wanna make something abundantly clear all the ugly, unjust, unfair suffering of Jesus on the cross, in all of that agony, he was not a victim. No way. He was a victor because he chose the cross. He decided for a crucifixion. It was his plan before the world began, knowing what sinners we would be, knowing that we would be destined for death and hell. He chose to come and die primarily, not as a victim, But as our substitute, he took our place on the cross, got all the suffering, all the punishment we deserve for our sin. And he was not a martyr, no way, because he was victorious. Let me show you this. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross as your substitute for your sin, if you believe that and surrender your life to that truth, Then he becomes your savior. He saves you from sin and hell and the grave. He saves you to super abundant life right now, spirit-powered life right now, and eternity. He saves you for eternity with God in heaven. And heaven, that's where you get to do what you love best. What do you love to do best? I love to watch the bears win. And it doesn't happen, but I'm going through hell right now. But in heaven, I get to watch the bears win all the time. I get to do, you get to do what you love best with those you love most, all in the presence of Jesus. My Debbie and I, we talk about it, because we love mountains. We used to love to climb them. Now we just get to look at them and take pictures. But in heaven, we'll get to create them and climb those that we create all in the presence of Jesus. That's what he saves us not just from, but saves us for. So I want to tell you about this mind-blowing miracle after he is a dead Jesus, a corpse. But before I do, I've got to ask you this question. I've had an unsettling experience in my life, and maybe you have as well. Have you ever stood at the bedside of someone who is suffering terribly, someone you love dearly, and you're there when they breathe their last, when they die, have you been there? I'm going to guess if you have, it's been like me, that there is this overwhelming sadness that just seizes your heart, and and then it just kind of, you know, at the same time, you feel really angry that this, they don't deserve this, this is so unfair, I wish this was me, and into the mix of sadness and anger is this panic that starts to take over, now what life is going to be like, if you've ever been there even hearing that described, you know what Mary Magdalene was feeling as she was searching for a dead Jesus. I mean, she saw up close and personal his execution. No one, no one. She saw the spirit go under his ribcage, into his heart. Out came the blood, water, he's dead. She was there when he was laid in the stone-sealed tomb. She can't stay away from that tomb a moment longer. It's still dark. It is so early. It's dark and she's stumbling and she's staggering. Not because it's dark, but because she is overwhelmed with God-wrenching grief. Her Jesus is gone. Here's how the Bible tells it. Early on that first Easter Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found, oh my gosh, the stone had been rolled away. She had wondered on the way, how will I get the stone out of the way? Maybe soldiers will help. Maybe someone else will be there. But no, she comes and the stone is moved. (laughs) Not necessarily so Jesus can get out, but so she can look in. Now, If you're not familiar with Mary Magdalene, she's a very wealthy lady. And some, I mean, she bankrolled the ministry of Jesus for years. And some speculate that she was a prostitute, that that's how she accumulated her wealth. I don't know, what I do know is this. Mary Magdalene had so opened her heart to evil that she was possessed with seven demons all at once. Every thought evil, every emotion evil and angry and ugly. All her behavior, ugly, angry, evil behavior until she meets Jesus. And with a breath, he blows the darkness away Not only does he cast out the darkness, he floods her heart and mind with the light of his love. She is a explosively transformed. The whole landscape of her life has been changed by Jesus and she loves Jesus more than life. She follows him, follows him. She didn't want to be away from Jesus for a moment. And now she's not sure how she's gonna go on living now that he is dead. You see, she's come. She's not afraid of the dark. She's not afraid of the dead. She lives so many years dead on the inside in the darkness. That's how she comes looking for Jesus. Here's what happens. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Now this is a wild crying and out of control crying. And oh my gosh, I can't believe this has happened crying. Oh God, rewind the clock. Oh God, go back three days. Oh God, take me back to Jesus before they butchered him and killed him. That's how she's crying. And as she wept like that, she stooped and looked in. And she saw, holy smoke, she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been. Did you get that? Past tense, had been, lit. it's not there anymore, for he is risen, he is resurrected, he has conquered hell, death, sin, and the grave. He, not only did he die for us, he was raised for us. Yeah, baby. The angels ask her, dear woman, why are you crying, the angel asked her because they have taken away the my Lord. She replied, I don't know where they have put him. And she turned on her heel to leave and almost runs head on into Jesus. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who, who are you looking for? If you're looking for a dead Jesus, you've come looking for the wrong Jesus who are you looking for? She she thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, "if, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, he calls her by name. The good shepherd, he knows his sheep and he calls them by name and they follow him. In fact, it's my prayer that today, maybe before you leave this room, but for sure, before your head hits the pillow tonight, that you will hear Jesus call your name. He is your good shepherd. And whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty you're facing, whatever it is maritally or in your parenting or in your emotions, that he will speak your name that he is here, that he is present, that he has conquered everything that needs to be conquered, that he is alive and he is willing to to fill you with his spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Mary, Jesus said, she, she turned to him and she cried out. I mean, can you imagine you go looking for someone that you know is a corpse and there he is alive and vital and energized and strong and she cried out, teacher. And evidently, between her word teacher and his word, she throws himself into her arms and just gives him a hug like I lost you once, I'm never losing you again. But it's weird what Jesus says. He says, Mary, don't cling to me now. At best, that seems rude. Mary, hands off the merchandise, you're gonna wrinkle my robe. Or it sounds odd because all throughout that day, Jesus invites people, Jesus welcomes people to touch him. Put your fingers where the nails prints are. Put your hand in my side where they shoved that spear up into my heart. I'm alive. At worst, it feels like, it can not be, but it feels like he's saying, you're not good enough. And that's a lie. Because the truth is, Mary's present. You know something, she is the first eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. Isn't that wild? She's a woman. Now, I mean, women today are strong and smart and gifted and talented and well able. Way better than most of us men. I was hoping for some female amens and to get a good lunch. (laughs) But no, women back then were just as smart and just as strong and just as able and just as gifted, but they were deemed lower than pieces of property. No woman could testify in a court of law. No woman had that kind of good sense, so they thought. So Jesus appears first to a woman who had been possessed by seven demons. That tells me that with all my sin and everything wrong I've ever done or thought or said, I'm welcome in the arms of Jesus. And when he says, don't cling to me, he's saying this, Mary, everything is gonna be better than you ever dreamed. How do I know? I know because of what he says next, check it out. Jesus said, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God. And you're God. Now maybe that doesn't give you a a massive aha moment, but it did for Mary. I mean, everything starts to fall in place. I mean, scripture says that Jesus opened the minds of his disciples so that they could understand the word of God. And all of a sudden it just starts to make sense for Mary because this is early, early, early Sunday morning and just a day or so previous on Thursday night, here's what Jesus had said to his followers. He said, I'm going away to the one, capital O, that's God the Father, the one who sent me. It is best for you that I go, Jesus, the Son of God, that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, I will send him to you. Now, they had a hard time getting their heads and hearts around anything better than having Jesus present with them. And I think the same is true for us. I've seen those surveys, like, you know, on Facebook, and ask you to list people that you would like to sit down and have a dinner conversation with. And often on the list is Jesus. We'd love to have him with us. So, how could it possibly be real? that Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to us is better, 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 way better than ever having Jesus with us. Let me show you this. Get this tattooed on your left thigh this week. Here's the deal, Jesus is God with us. The Holy Spirit is God within us. He comes and takes up full residence. He comes and abides, and as long as we nurture him, and feed him, and pray to him, and invite him in, he fills us and he is present. But if we don't nurture and feed and care and strengthen him with his word, it's just as like he just diminishes because of the lack of feeding, until we're no stronger facing the struggles of life than an atheist might be. Now the word Jesus uses for advocate, that was his term for the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is paraclete. It's a unique word, it's a military term. Every Roman soldier had a paraclete. And a paraclete was like a battle buddy, if you will. I'm sure if you're in hand-to-hand combat, buddy's not quite strong enough, but here's the deal. If a Roman soldier's doing hand-to-hand combat and he's fighting this way, his paraclete is fighting this way. His paraclete has his back. His paraclete can let him, he doesn't have to worry about what's coming from this way. His paraclete's taking care of that part of the battle. His paraclete can communicate if something's coming this way or something's coming this way. This is the Holy Spirit for our lives. Jesus is saying, hey, I know life is a battle. I've been through the worst of it. You'll go through hard times. But if you have the Holy Spirit, he will battle for you. He will fight in ways you could never fight for yourself. He will fight cancer. He will fight depression. He will fight anxiety. He will fight marital uh, discord. He will fight for your children. He will fight for your grandchildren. He will fight the lies of the evil one with the truth of God. But the Holy Spirit is your paraclete. He comes and battles in your behalf so that, check this out, the Holy Spirit comes to help you make your life victorious. As you feed and nurture him on God's word, the wisdom of God's word, the power of God's word. He wins battles for you in your finances, in your emotions, in your relationships. He makes you victorious in every area of your life that is surrendered. Come Holy Spirit. Come join me, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me. Come, Holy Spirit, use me. Come, Holy Spirit, and wield me to the glory of God. Come, Holy Spirit, help me. Come, Holy Spirit, fight for me. Here's what the Word of God says The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead. Did you get that? Jesus didn't just lay in there as a corpse, pop his eyes open, I'm back. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, He lives in you. He's alive in you. And so you care. You invite and you care and you nurture and you strengthen Him through the Word of God and prayer until now you are living and loving and serving with the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. You see, any power you need in life is yours when the Holy Spirit... Is in you. Any power you need is yours with the Holy Spirit in you. He does it. He's the source. I'll, I'll go this far and say, any love you need, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, the love's in you. Any peace you need, it's in you. When the Holy Spirit is, in you. any joy you need, it's in you, and the Holy Spirit is in you. Look at the word of God. Scripture said, his mighty power, his mighty power, dunamis power, the power that changes things, his mighty power is at work within us. You see, the struggle was really not the circumstances or the situation around us that overwhelm us and tend to intimidate us. Here's where we need the strength. When we got the Holy Spirit empowering us, we can overcome all the outside circumstance. His mighty powers at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might, than we might ask or even imagine. And here's the deal. As our paraclete, as we battle in this direction and he battles, He battles for us, fights for us in ways we can never fight for ourselves, wins for us in ways we can never win for ourselves. He guides us. He guides us into what is best for us. Let me show you. The Holy Spirit guides us into God's dream for our lives. I saw and heard this very thing happen this week. I was in Janesville Monday having coffee with a friend, and he told me as a part of our conversation that he and his wife heard Um, me say that first weekend in December, we're collecting winter gear for children in our community who don't have coats or hats or gloves. He said by Sunday afternoon, my wife was buying winter gear for kids. You know what was happening? The Holy Spirit was guiding. That was God's dream for her. Maybe many of you have already done the same. That's the Holy Spirit guiding you, leading you into God's dream for you. God's dream is not necessarily that you win the lottery or get your face on People Magazine or get the most likes or the most followers. God's dream is that you help the hurting little ones. Wednesday, I was here for our feeding program. Every Wednesday, we give away a week's worth of groceries to hungry people. This week, we will deliver uh, over 30 um, to 30 residents, people who can't get out, and deliver a week's worth of groceries to them. Well, you can imagine, there are more people coming for food this week than I've seen in a long time. It's not easy to keep the stocks filled up. And so in December, we will collect groceries. We'll big bags of groceries. I'll bring my bags all filled with spam. You can bring your bags of real meat, Um, but we'll, we'll bring that to help the poor. But I was there, and one of the ladies called me and she said, I heard what you said about the homeless. You see, we're, we're involved in a local effort to, of warmth for the homeless. Winter's coming, terrible temperatures, snow, and we're collecting sleeping bags and backpacks. We're gonna pack the backpacks with socks and gloves and hygiene items. And she was asking me, she said, I got the backpack. Now, do the stuff get packed in at church? So I put the stuff in? In fact, she brought the backpack today. You know why she did that? The Holy Spirit was guiding her, that God was dreaming that she would reach out to the homeless and sacrifice for the homeless. Every day this week, every single day this week, in the mail, we receive checks from people for our church, and man, there's never been a, I've been the pastor here for 40 years, and there's never been a time like this when your church faces difficult financial need. I mean, through the first year of COVID, mid-March of 2020 to mid-March of this year, we did really great. But then it seemed like the summer, early fall, just bam, Um, but people, are being guided by the Holy Spirit. That's what I, They sit down and write those checks that we get on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and I bet if there's a mail on Sunday, we get them then. They're writing those checks under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is God's dream for their lives. And every time, out of every pay period, you make a gift. Because you know what? We can say no to the Holy Spirit, we can resist the Holy Spirit, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, or we can allow Him to lead us into God's dream for our lives. Here's something else, you gotta know. The Holy Spirit guides us into God's best version of us. Not your mama's best version of you, not your boyfriend's best version of you, not your coach's best version of you. You know what God's best version of you looks like? It looks like this. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what you look like. That's God's best version of me when we allow the Holy Spirit to flourish in our lives. I pray aloud to the Holy Spirit. Now we all grew up learning to pray our Father who art in heaven. I pray that way too. We've all learned to pray, close our prayers in Jesus' name, amen. I do that after every prayer too, but I also pray not just to God the Father, not just in the name of God, the Son, Jesus, but I pray to the Holy Spirit in every Ghost Story weekend. You're gonna receive a prayer you can pray to the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we have run out of our study guides. This is how you nurture, feed, and strengthen the Holy Spirit in your life. But you can download these online. Go to our hub and you can download these for every day, learning more and more about the Holy Spirit. Um, This is our prayer today. If you received this as you came in, I want you to stand with me. And if you didn't receive it, stand anyway, because we're gonna put it on the screen. And I'd like for you to pray this prayer right now with me to the Holy Spirit, because He'll take you. He'll take you where you would never go on your own. He'll take you into God's best. Let's read this. I need glasses. And if anybody brought a magnifying glass, maybe I should read it off here. Okay, we're gonna pray together. Are you ready? with the word come. Come, Holy Spirit, come be my strength and comfort. I trust you, Holy Spirit. Please be my guide. Guide me into God's purpose for my life to serve others. Guide me to know God more fully and to love Jesus more dearly. Pray it every day. Pray it throughout the day. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com.